You are listening to season two of the Not Neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and season two is all about my continued late diagnosis journey, finding my voice, and figuring out what the heck to do now. So strap on your safety belts, hold on tight, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. and welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. Before we get started on the podcast today, I just wanted to throw out there that if you haven't subscribed yet to the Not Neurotypical podcast or followed or whatever program you're using to listen to this podcast, go ahead and subscribe now. The Instagram algorithms are changing constantly and I just want to make sure that you're getting the updates that the podcasts are coming out feel free also to join the not neurotypical squad the squad is for neurodivergent adults to share and grow and learn together and it's people just like everything that i talk about on this podcast just learning and growing together and it's an extremely accepting environment so i would love it if you would join there is a link in the description subscribe to the podcast and also If you are loving what you're hearing in the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. And let me know what you think. Also, if you have any constructive criticism or anything you would like me to talk about or improve, go ahead and send me an email. My email is hello at laurastan.com. That's hello at L-A-U-R-A-Z-D-A-N.com. And I would love to hear from you. And here we go. Hi, and welcome to the Not Neurotypical Podcast. I am so happy that you are listening right now. And it's been a while since I've just done a podcast without YouTube involved. And I have to say, YouTube is clouding my podcast abilities. And what does that mean? I'm a one-track person, and I decided to try out YouTube, and it's been very frustrating. I don't like making videos. I find it so much more challenging. And I'm such a let's just do this type of person. And YouTube is so like, make it look good. And let's add all the fun stuff. And it's not just content sharing. And I'm such like an information sharer. Like if I have information to give, I just want to give the information with none of the frou-frou frills and all that. And you know, over the course of doing the podcast, a bunch of people were like, you should start a YouTube channel. Um, And in my head, I was like, yeah, I should start a YouTube channel. Because yeah, I need more things in my life. I just have three kids and a business and you know, my whole life is falling apart and and all of that. But but sure, let's add YouTube onto it. And I found it very, very, very distracting, confusing. And also, a fun challenge in some ways, and then not a fun challenge in other ways. For one, I suck at video editing. And I'm not good at any of that. And I've kind of dove into that world and I'm trying to get better, but I'm not enjoying it. So I'm probably I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to say I'm going to stop it. But I had kind of neglected just the podcast a little bit. And I like doing the video podcasts with guests and things like that, but just sitting there, just me in front of the camera trying to give information, I hate it. 
I don't like it. So I'm not going to do that anymore. So if I continue YouTube, which I probably will, especially with the video podcast where I am, you know, interviewing or I don't want to say interviewing because I'm not a journalist or anything like that. But when there is a guest on the podcast, I do really like the video podcast with that because it feels a little more like a real interaction and it's more exciting that way. And also it's not just me. Like (laughs) I feel like all of my social things are just like magnified. I don't know. The podcast is fun because I can share all of this awesome stuff with you guys And you don't see me and I just feel free. Like I could be naked right now and you'd never know it. I'm not, but I mean, I could be anywhere. I could be doing anything and you never know. And that's fun and exciting. And YouTube is way, way too invasive. And honestly, I'm demand avoidant and I just don't like all the pressure of YouTube. Okay. So anyway, speaking of feedback, Not that I was speaking of that, but I got an email a long time ago when I used to just have no website and it was just WordPress. I had a contact page and today I just realized that people were contacting me and I had no idea. (laughs) So if you sent me a message on my old site, which was really just a little blog site and it was like laurastan.wordpress.com, if you sent me a message there... I did not know that contacts went to a feedback page and it says feedback, which makes no sense. I think WordPress needs somebody autistic to work for them so that it, they can make sense of this website because while some things are user-friendly, very that makes no sense for contact, when people contact you, for it not to go to some sort of contact message. Okay. That's my event. Anyway. So I got a message from a doctor. He's a psychologist and he was listening to my ableism goes both ways episode, which is episode seven of season one. And he had some feedback. So I want to read his feedback and kind of talk a little more about that. So he said, Hi, Laura. I'm a psychologist specializing in working with neurodivergent people, and I've lived experience as an ADHDer with an autistic wife and stepson. I just listened to your episode about ableism going both ways, and I agreed with much of it. But there is something I feel you missed, which is just as important. I'm going to keep going. (laughs) When your follower said it's different for men when it comes to dating, he is unfortunately right. I think that needs to be acknowledged. It is different for men and women on the spectrum. Let me explain. Almost all of my female clients have had partners, regardless of disability and how they look. Almost none of the straight males have. This tends to go away by late college, especially if there is financial success, but not always, especially if they have I don't even know what word that is, so he's clearly much smarter than me, so I'm just going to skip it, especially if they have affectations. I don't even know what that is. Anyway, (laughs) it's not in my vocabulary. You probably know what it means. Anyway, especially if they have affectations that appear odd to the neurotypical world. There are important reasons for this other than internalized ableism, which is a part of it to be sure. 
There is much research that the different rhythms, the tendency toward flat effect, and the differences in emotional expression and eye contact inherent in autism tend to create alarm bells in neurotypical people. The nature of male and female differences means men can take risks and overcome initial alarm bells, and they will, especially if the woman is authentic and pretty. The men can overcome their initial reactions to differences and get to know the person underneath. The process is simply not the same for women under a culture that is highly dangerous to them. The differences of autistic men are initially off-putting to many, and they do not, for good reason, stick around to get to know the true person. And oftentimes, if they do, because of the way patriarchy trashes sensitivity and deep emotions, it puts autistic men at a disadvantage if they don't mask. This is why it is essential to fight patriarchy as well as coach people to be openly autistic. When people are unabashedly autistic in the culture, alarm bells won't go off. And if someone says, hey, I'm autistic, my rhythms are different, but I'm great, that helps ease the transition into a more intimate space. So I think it's great feedback from this doctor. I think that it's a lot to add. And I also want to just restate that me sharing in this podcast is meant to be pretty educational, but it's really just me sharing my story and me wherever I am the day that I'm recording. So this podcast that he's referring to was probably recorded somewhere in October around there. And it is now February of 2020. That was October of 2019. And I was still very new to all of this world. I mean, technically I still am, right? And I think that I have a little more of a capacity. I've done a lot more research since then on stuff like this. I have a lot more of a capacity to understand the context in different ways than I did at the time. I feel actually like a completely different person from when I first started the podcast, even like the middle episodes. Um, It's very interesting how when you throw yourself into a new world and just become so passionate about it, you grow so quickly and you learn so quickly and especially when you're autistic and it becomes a special interest, which I think is pretty obvious. All of this has become a special interest for me. But anyway, I digress. My initial thoughts are, of course, um, I, I think everything he's saying, although he's massively generalizing, I think that a lot of what he's saying in general is very true. And I think he explained the differences pretty well, also on the surface and also very generally. Um, But I also want to point out, too, that there are plenty of men who are late diagnosed and who did mask and are much like the traits that everyone talks about that are female traits. Um, And I'm really trying to step away from the male or female traits in autism uh, I th- don't think it's good for us, honestly, because we are just not typical people. And I think that's a good thing. And I think the whole female traits, male traits, all of that, I don't think that applies to us. For instance, I've talked multiple times, you know, my son is not the typical, you know, autism that you think of. 
But, you know, according to a lot of women, they would call a lot of his traits female traits. And I've talked to many men who are like, I've been such a heavy masker. I think masking should be talked about not just for females. I think, you know, we need more awareness. And I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of non-binary autistic people who really get left out by the whole male and female trait talk. And considering the fact that if you're autistic, you are way more likely to be non-binary or trans or gay or lesbian or bi and all of that, I think it's really important that we kind of step away from this assigning gender to certain traits. I just don't think it's good in general, but especially for our population of people. But beyond that, I do really understand what the doctor is saying. He is saying, and even giving pretty good reasons for why it really is different for boys than it is for girls or men or women or whatever. And he, like I said, spoke very generally. But of course, I didn't share the general context because this is my story And I was sharing about a specific situation where a young man reached out to me and asked for advice and I gave it and he didn't want to take it. And maybe I'm wrong, but I took it more as, well, it's different for you. You'd never understand because you're a girl. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I saw. And let me tell you, I read things wrong, but that's what I felt like. And that's why I mentioned that he looked at my profile and assumed that because I'm pretty, this was the point, because I'm whatever you want to call pretty, whatever, and advocating for autism, I must have been faking it, and how am I doing so well at faking it, and then asked me for advice, and then when I told him, you know, literally I said... I found someone who was very accepting and understanding of me, and I think that that should be your focus too, which is genuine advice. He didn't want to take it. Um, Maybe I didn't acknowledge his struggle, but honestly, we had only said five things to each other, so it's not like I could acknowledge his journey and, you know, validate him because he didn't even give me the the chance to, which of course could be a social thing or, or whatever. I was trying to bring light to the fact that, yes, we have differences and both struggles are valid. The social struggles of all autistic people are valid and they come from many different places. And some of it is patriarchy and, you know, if that's what you want to say, um, our society that we're in for sure or neurotypical ideals that are just really hard for us to live up to. And... While he kind of thinks I missed that, this is a podcast of me sharing my story, and I don't think I'm the person to kind of speak to male struggles for, you know, social dating and things like that. Um, So (laughs) that's why I'm definitely never going to go there. But I do really appreciate the feedback and the education, Um, but I just want to also remind everybody that I don't pretend to speak to the struggles of other people. Sometimes I miss the context and I don't understand other people's struggles. And um, if you ever want to 
update me on what I might be missing, I do appreciate that. And we can have a discussion on that. Um, and then more recently, I've had quite a few comments about things like, um, you know, if I met you, I'd have no idea you were on the spectrum. Quote, you mask it so well. End quote. I've gotten, um, you know, things like, oh, I don't, I mean, I was on Dan. He's the Aspie world. Um, I was on his podcast. Well, video, we did a video together. So I was on his YouTube and it was awesome. It was really good. It was about why late diagnosis is something people should be talking about. And one of the comments was from an autism mom, and she said, um, yeah, I don't think this person is autistic. Uh, they communicate really well, you know, and it's just so important that people understand that there are differences. Everyone is different, but also me communicating in a fixed setting where someone is watching me on a video in, I'm in my home, I'm comfortable and, you know, I'm not going to have trouble communicating. I don't understand that outlook that if I can communicate on a video or a podcast to you guys that I must not be autistic. It just blows my mind. Um, I think it's so hard to grasp how, and I've said this before on the podcast, how someone can be so bright or brilliant or smart or talented in one area that seems related but really isn't and then be a little behind or or need more time to process or not quite get things as easily in another area but autism is complex we're all different all of our brains work differently there are just certain things that kind of unite us, like sensory issues, social challenges, um, you know, other things that unite us for this diagnosis. But the truth is that we're all completely different people. And that's why autism is so complex. The spectrum is not linear and it's extremely wide and vast. And if you think of it like, 3D, like think of it like the earth and you have the core in the middle and then it goes out in all directions and into form this like massive circle. And that's really like what the spectrum is like. It's literally 3D. It's not just not linear, it's 3D. And it is, I mean, maybe 4D because we have all the sensory stuff too, but it's, it's this massive, massive spectrum that is all over the place. And it's really hard to understand. And that's why acceptance is so important. Because you don't have to understand something to accept it. In fact, a lot of people can't understand us because it's so vast. Honestly, there's things about myself that I don't understand. There's things about my children that I don't understand, but understanding is not a prerequisite of acceptance. And that just means that you're committing to supporting somebody and allowing them to be themselves and saying it's okay and believing that and treating them like that. Acceptance is so many things, 
but also something that we need to do in the autism community, in the autistic adult community. Hashtag actually autistic. Acceptance should also be used here because once again, I'm going to go back to where I was episode seven and talk about the fact that acceptance isn't always understanding and we are not as a whole giving that to each other. Um, Everyone already knows their own experiences are valid and they want to be validated and that's fine. But I think people really need to overcome this idea that there's only one valid experience at a time. And that's what I try to tell people that if you don't agree with me, that doesn't invalidate one or the other. We could both have really valid experiences and disagree with each other, and they can both be right. Um, and and I would say that is something that I would not have been able to agree with or grasp in my 20s, and it's definitely a part of growing up. And I don't want to say people that can't grasp that concept. I don't want to say they're immature or anything like that, but it's definitely something that has come more recently in my life as I am now approaching middle age, unfortunately, Um, not to sound ageist, but that's a whole nother podcast. But um, I just think that it's really important that we talk about the whole world accepting us. And I think that we need to work on that for not only ourselves, but for the community. Um, and, and enjoy that realization that someone else can be valid and disagree with you. Um, the infighting within the community is harsh. I've experienced it myself. I've tried to be canceled. Um, a certain person claimed that I made a parody account about them that, They, I don't think anyone would have ever known about the parody account if they didn't throw it out there. And then all of their followers got wind of this parody account and they gave it all the attention. Um, And then used that against me when I sent an email to apologize. And uh, by the way, the canceling didn't work. Here I am. I'm still here. Um, I don't think I lost any followers with that cancel one. But (laughs) even still, I've seen it personally been done to me. I've seen it done to other people. And cancel culture and autism does not mix. And I mean that because we have to realize that we are definitely more black and white type people than the outside world. And by the outside world, I mean just a general neurotypical people. We are definitely more black and white. And this is going to lead us to maybe not always saying things that are right or that we will even agree with later. And cancel culture denies us the room to grow. And it denies people the education and the learning experience. And it also tells people that if you say one wrong thing, you're out. And we're going to say wrong things. That's what we do. And I think you cannot be part of cancel culture and be an accepting autistic person because 
I'm sure I've already said things I regret. I mean, honestly, I don't remember half of the stuff I've even said up until now on the podcast, unfortunately, because I just record in my bedroom and then throw it out on the internet. And then I don't even remember things until people bring it up and they're like, hey, you said this and and that really resonated with me. And my thought is, oh, yeah, I did say that. So, I mean, cancel culture is... If you don't know what it is, it's basically the rise of the internet and gang mentality where if someone says something that you don't like, you know, people kind of gang up and and basically say, okay, we're not going to follow this person anymore or sometimes on a grander scale, way larger than me, when we're talking about celebrities, when people actually like lose advertising contracts and things like that. Um... Now, sometimes cancel culture is a way to, um, you know, create justice where justice hasn't been served in the legal system or something like that. Um, think more like uh, sexual assault cases and things like that. Um, celebrities that have, you know, Me Too movement, you kind of think of. But cancel culture doesn't need to go away from major, major injustice. I mean, does, does need to move away from major injustice because, um, it's just not needed outside of that. If, if an autistic person or an autistic advocate says something that you don't agree with, uh, I think it's totally okay to educate them, but to decide that they shouldn't be an advocate or they're a bad person from saying something that you don't like and actively trying to have them lose followers or all of that. It's just unnecessary and it's really bad for mental health. And I just don't agree with it. And I think that, and I also, I I mean, I recently had someone who didn't like a comment. Um, I've actually just tried to stop arguing with people on my Instagram because I'm trying to grow up. I'm trying to realize that uh, this isn't about me and it really isn't. And sometimes, you know, that comes creeping back in. I am human and I, and I have to check myself on that. And I think it's really important to do that as an advocate to regularly, regularly kind of check yourself and actively think about the fact that, you know, people are arguing with you, sure, because they disagree, but also the fact that it's not about me I'm sharing my opinions and my story, but someone else, when they're commenting and disagreeing with me, they're just saying that their experience has been different. So I try to think about it that way and that's valid and that's totally fine. But I had this one person who didn't like one of my comments. Actually, they I could tell they didn't like my post. This is like that pattern recognition where, <laughs> where uh, we talk about this like me and my autistic friends online talk about this a lot. Shout out to the not neurotypical coven that we have, we call it. Um, we talk about a lot of the time how we have pattern recognition and we can kind of like know people don't like us before they even know. And I can even sense that on the internet. And I could just tell this person was commenting and they did not like what I had to say. And they were trying to keep it light and funny, but I knew they weren't into it and they made a comment um, and even kind of ended it in a snarky way. Like in, in my, 
in my I'm known to say thanks for coming to my TED talk and at the end of their comment they said so thanks for coming to my in capitals TED talk and and right there if I was an adult which I am legally but if I was an adult in that moment I would have just let it go but I didn't I commented and shared that I disagreed with their disagreeance which was totally <laughs> unnecessary um and then we got in this back and forth, and it wasn't really heated. I, I felt like we were being pretty controlled about it, but the point is, it was just unnecessary. And then other people chimed in, and all of a sudden, it's my Instagram page, and there's a bunch of people just sharing how they disagree with me online, and it's affecting me. And once again, all it took was me just letting it go, and I couldn't do that. <laughs> so my point is... Oh, and this person ended up telling me in my DMs that I'm not their people, quote, um, which was really funny because just like a day before that, they actually live in my area and they were trying to um, invite me out for a cup of coffee. Uh, so all I had to say was one thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But the truth is they weren't my people either. And that's okay. And I actually appreciated the honesty. Uh, but a lot of their messages were pretty hurtful and one-sided and completely unrelatable. Uh, you know, they didn't try to relate to me before making judgments and I realized I was doing the same thing. So being an adult <laughs> and taking responsibility means that sure, it takes two to tango, but all I had to do was just not engage and I did. So that's a big part of it. And I think that would solve a whole lot of issues in the autism community, in the autistic adult community, where is it worth it? If you're an advocate, you know, are you or you're advocating for a certain subject? Does it? When is it about you and about what you're advocating for? Does it really matter? And I've really been trying to look at things through that lens because when it's all about me, then I'm going to be a lot more defensive about, you know, what I'm, what people are commenting on my Instagram and all of that. And if it really is about advocating for autism and what that means to us, then we shouldn't take everything so personally, right? And we have to all take personal responsibility for what we're engaging in. And it really does take two to tango. So that's my advice. And that's that's what I've been doing to try and help that because I was more combative when I first got into the community. I've changed a lot of my views. I've changed a lot. Um, when I first came into the autism world, I was so shocked by the things I was seeing about autism moms. And I was horrified with some of it. Um, and I allowed this negativity to kind of like seep into my world uh, and and almost like make harsh judgments that all autism moms are bad or something. And, and the truth is, it was me being reactionary. It was me um, being just really sad about the negative things I was seeing that I didn't know about before that point. But the truth is, I don't feel that way anymore. I think that there are just bad and good people out there 
in almost any community and there's good and bad parents that have all types of children. And I really think most autism parents that aren't autistic themselves are really trying to do the best they can. And let's face it, there's not a lot of good info out there for them. And sure, you can say, well, they need to listen to autistic adults, but it's hard to do that when the medical world is saying a lot of opposite things than we say, or just being very unclear about a lot of things that we're pretty clear about. So we need a lot of advancement there, but I've changed a lot of my views relating to autism parents. And, and the truth is, I think that we need them. And I was just discussing today in the Not Neurotypical Squad that we almost need like another name for the autism parents who are more into neurodiversity. Because I think there's a whole silent majority out there that believes in autistic adults and, and is raising their kids to have their own voice, their autistic kids. And they're almost scared to speak up and they're scared to, you know, speak for us. But I think we need them to speak with us. I think that you can share the narrative of autistic adults and not speak over them and make a great impact on autism parenting. Because let's face it, that's a real dynamic out there. That there are neurotypical parents with autistic kids. And I can't imagine that. I mean, I have a husband that is, um, and it's still hard for me to grasp. I see it all the time. And I see his struggles. I see how, once again, like I said earlier, he has to sometimes just accept things that he doesn't understand. And I would imagine a neurotypical autism mom that does understand what a lot of neurodiversity has to say still has to do a lot of acceptance. I mean, honestly, there's things about my kids that I just have to accept. They are all three very different than me in a lot of ways. Um, the vocal stims <laughs> are really hard for me. Uh, I, I have to accept that. I have to put on my headphones, um, you know, because I have the hearing sensitivity. I have the extreme misophonia. I mean, I get enraged when there are sounds that I don't like. And I'm working on that. And just because you're autistic doesn't mean that you're a better parent to autistic kids. Sure, it's easier to grasp and understand a lot of the concepts or struggles that they're going through. But in a lot of ways, it makes some things easier and it makes other things very hard. And when you have an autistic kid that is a very different profile than you, uh, it's really hard. And I think about the fact that I was like very loud and wild as a kid. And my dad, who I believe 99% sure was autistic, and I say was because he passed, he's no longer here, so I couldn't even confirm it. Not that I could confirm that anyway, because he was extremely ableist and would have never had a conversation about that. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, my dad was very similar with me. I was wild and crazy. I was a sensory seeker as a kid. I'm much more of a sensory avoider now. I don't really understand that morphing, but I've morphed. And he you know, he used to be like, you know, be quiet. I have a headache. He used to say, I believe he was experiencing 
sensory overwhelm a lot of the time because it was always like end of the day, like after work, he, he would come home and have a really hard time. Um, and I lived in fear of like, oh, dad's coming home. Not younger, not when I was a toddler, but when I was older and it was like, oh, dad's coming home. He's going to be in a bad mood. I'm going to have to be quiet. Um, so I really, I've been there as a kid. Now I'm the parent and I'm trying really hard not to turn into my dad, but also doing this whole late diagnosis journey, I'm struggling with where to kind of help myself, you know, how to parent while having sensory sensitivities, how to nurture my kids' sensory sensitivities. It is so complex. And my point is that we need autism moms and dads that are neurotypical to also, you know, spread neurodiversity and share why they love it and why they think it's best for their kids and things like that. So that's my encouragement. Um, I'm not speaking for other advocates because there are literally advocates out there that think that only autistic people should speak about autism. And in a lot of ways, I kind of agree. But I think if your narrative that you're sharing is somebody else's or your kids or you're speaking about a narrative that isn't yours, but I think if you express that and don't try to claim it, and twist it around, I think that's perfectly acceptable. And honestly, neurodiversity is never going to make it, in my opinion, on our own. Like if it's just different neurotypes, I think we need all neurotypes on board because neurodiversity is about all neurotypes, including neurotypical. I mean, I, in my last video podcast with my husband, I talked about the fact that his brain is amazing, uh, that it works as expected. And I think it's beautiful. And in a lot of ways, I'm jealous. Um, if we lived in a more accepting world, would I be as jealous? I don't know. I mean, the jealousy of my husband just waking up and going to work every day without any struggle, is, uh, it's, that's amazing to me. But I think that, you know, we need neurotypical people on board. And I think how we relate to them says a lot about who we are. And what I mean by that is some of us have trauma related to that. We've been mistreated by neurotypical people, but by no means should we judge all neurotypicals by certain traumatic interactions. And I think that we really need to focus on neurodiversity as it relates to all neurotypes and realize the importance of all of the differences and, you know, not just make it like us versus them. That's, that's really my point. We went through cancel culture and all of that, but I don't think it's us versus them. And I don't think we can continue in that way because it's so important that we have people on board. I mean, we look at the um, you know, the gay, lesbian, bi, transsexual, non-binary, like that whole movement, especially like the, the LGBT movement in the 90s, especially, I mean, massive things were going on and they really conquered uh, 
through privilege for sure, you know, a, a lot of the white males did a lot for that movement and they had a voice and people were listening. Um, but the truth is that they, in a lot of ways, made it socially unacceptable to be homophobic. That was something that now, like when I was younger, we all said that's gay about everything. And, um, and beyond that, a lot of people like to pretend like, oh, well, you know, we didn't mean it that way and it wasn't a big deal. But also in a serious way where I grew up, at least, if you told someone that they acted gay, that was an insult. And now you cannot say that publicly. And I think that's a great thing. And I think that we really need to look at ableism in that same way. And ableism is tied into you know, transphobia, homophobia, racism, um, patriarchy, as the doctor was talking about. I mean, ableism is tied into all of that. And we really have an, I don't want to say easy, but it's easier than like civil rights had it. It's, it's an easy way to kind of tie it all in together because it all stems from the same ugly place of, you know, not being able to relate to the real struggles that people have. But anyway, I'm rambling at this point. Are you still with me? Are you there? I'm sorry. I didn't script this one out at all. And I'm really just kind of speaking from my heart in a lot of ways. So if you're still here, I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot I'm going to keep talking about. I want to focus more on the podcast than YouTube coming up. And that is because I just don't like YouTube. I will be a guest anytime, but that is just too much pressure for me. I'm sorry for anyone out there who is loving the YouTube videos. I can't imagine because I edited them so bad. I can't imagine anyone loving them, <laughs> but I get some good comments on there. So really, my information flow is so much better when there's just no pressure on me and I'm just here talking to you and then I just upload it and you can just listen to it. Yeah, I'm a one-track mind, I know. But anyway, I hope that you, in closing here, I hope that you look a little more deeply at how interactions can become so negative so quickly and by us just kind of realizing and stepping outside of ourself that more than one experience can be valid, more than one opinion can be valid, and our experiences shape who we are. And of course, we can't just understand somebody's experience as they're relating to us online. Um, so to argue just seems petty in a lot of ways. And I'm saying this because, oh, I'm petty. <laughs> this pettiness I fight. I have to fight pettiness a lot. And as I grow as a person, I am realizing and taking it in that I tend to be petty and ridiculous and egotistical at times or come off that, you know, oh, well, my point needs to matter. You need to validate my point. But no, I don't. No one needs to validate my points. Um, it's just silly. <laughs> Fighting online is just silly, especially when you don't even know the people. It's just silly. Cancel culture is silly. If we take a step back and think about the fact that autistic people are going to say things they regret, autistic people are going to grow, and we really need to understand and accept that and give people the chance 
to learn and grow, I think it's really important. And next time you are about to argue with someone on the internet, I really hope that you take that step back and think about that, that double thinking that my experience is valid. I already know that because I lived it and I experienced it. And maybe this person also is valid. Okay, we're at the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for staying and listening to the whole thing. It means a lot to me. And while you're here, here's a friendly reminder that you should subscribe to this podcast. And also, if you're feeling alone and trying to make sense of all of this, if you're late diagnosed or you're just really struggling, there is an online and free community for you for neurodivergent adults called the Not Neurotypical Squad. The link is in the description and I would love it if you would join. So thank you once again for listening. If you like what you've been hearing, please leave a review and also feel free to email me hello at laurastan.com if you have any constructive feedback or if you just need someone to talk to. I'm here. Thank you for listening.